With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of The Sit-Down. As always, if you enjoy this video, please make sure you hit the like button and let me know what you think of today's discussion in the comment section below. If you're new around here, you just haven't done it yet, or you're living under a rock and seeing this video for the first time, I don't know what you're waiting for. Hit that subscribe button below now so you never miss another sit-down video. If you're checking us out currently and listening through iTunes, Spotify, or Google Pods. Welcome in. We hope you enjoy another episode of the show. Please make sure you leave us a five-star review and a detailed comment letting us know what you think about today's episode or any other show that we do. I always appreciate all of you that uh, send in some candor about the show. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I am your host, Jeff Nadu. This is episode 120 as we always do, and as we always say here, I'm ready to give out another great show for you today. I hope you're having a good week. Uh, we are already in the middle of August and heading down to the home stretch of summer. And within a few short weeks, the leaves are going to start rustling, going to start smelling those fires in the fireplaces. It's a good time of the year. Uh, great show today we have. We're going to talk about Two individuals from the Colombo crime family that were very powerful. We're going to talk about them in tandem. Ralph Scopo and Jerry Langella are going to be today's subjects. We're going to talk a lot about the Concrete Club, the infamous Concrete Club, and how basically the mafia at the height of building in New York City uh, ran most of the most lucrative rackets. And construction and concrete was at the top of them. So we're going to talk about all that and more. We're also, after the biography, going to have a pretty fun Q&A. I don't do that many Q&As anymore, but I went on YouTube. I went on Twitter. I asked for your most um, want-to-answer Q&A questions. I'm going to do that after the biography, so make sure you stick around when we're done with Ralph Scopo and Jerry Lang, and we'll have some fun with that. Before, though, we get into the episode, I want to obviously tell you about my bookie my bookie has been a presenting sponsor for a while now and i always enjoy telling you about their new and improved website and casino whether it's sports betting playing blackjack or roulette or really any other type of gambling um, my bookie's got you covered we've all been there before right you may be on a weekend you want to head to the casino and play some roulette or put in a sports bet but you can't because real life is calling well my bookie's new and improved online casino is here I'm ready to change the game. You can dive into truly realistic casino experiences. Um, that basically, it's just like you're in uh, Las Vegas with live dealer action. They've got progressive jackpots. and You could all do it from your home or on your telephone. Take advantage of weekly blackjack tournaments and a brand new collection of high-end games for a real chance at cash rewards. Your adventure at MyBookie Casino begins right now. And all you need to do when you sign up is use promo code SITDOWN. Again, that's promo code SITDOWN. And you're going to secure yourself a 50% match on deposits up to $1,000. So if you give up 500 bucks, they're going to give you 250 in free play cash. You can also get a $10 casino chip as well. 
And that's not completely all because, again, we'd like to give you some extras. You're also going to get involved in the revamped loyalty program, which ensures you'll be showered with rewards, free spins, cashback offers, and plenty of VIP perks. The more you play, the more you win. Guys, again, whether it's casino, sports betting, whatever you want to do, make sure you go to mybookie.ag, use promo code SITDOWN. we got football coming up. Make sure you get in the game now. Get some free cash uh, when you sign up and uh, use our code so everybody uh, makes out. Again, it's mybookie.ag. Use promo code SITDOWN right now. All right, guys, let's get into the latest episode of the show. I'm really kind of excited about this one because, in my estimation, I think Ralph Scopo really is probably the most influential mob soldier of all time. Rafi Scopo was never a captain. He was never an underboss. Um, He never ranked above soldier. But as we've come to find out, I think rank sometimes is overrated in the mafia. And we've seen that with people like Joe Watts, who wasn't even a made member of the mob, but had the same respect as a high-ranking member. Um, You look at Jimmy Burke. But when you look at made men, guys that were soldiers, they had their button. I don't think there was really anyone more powerful than Ralphie Scopo. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about him and his captain, Jerry, Jerry Lang Langella, next on the sit-down. Ralph Scopo was born November 21st, 1928 in Brooklyn, New York. Now, there isn't a lot known about Ralph Scopo's early life, but we would find out by the late 60s, early 70s, he was actually an associate in Brooklyn in the Sonny Franzese crew. He was actually, Ralph Scopo, very close to um, kind of influential capo, one-time acting boss, Joseph Little Joey Brancato. And Little Joey was actually, in the early 70s, at one point, for a very short time, the acting boss of the family. Uh, after the Joe Colombo hit and everything, Little Joey kind of, took over the reins for a period of time. Now, he would eventually get busted back in the mid to late 70s and placed under Jerry Lang, but little Joe Brancato would actually sponsor Ralph Scopo into the family in 1977. Now, once the ceremony happens, both Scopo and little Joey are put under the tutelage of Jerry Lang Langella. Now, Jerry Lang is an interesting guy, right? Because I've always heard, like, where's the information on Jerry Lang? Well, we're going to try to provide you with some today. Gennaro Adriana Langella was born on December 30th, 1938. Jerry Lang would grow up in the Brooklyn neighborhood of Carroll Gardens. We know Carroll Gardens, Red Hook, Gowanus, Park Slope, all those areas uh, had plenty of Colombo people in them. We know that Carmine Persco is from that area and Red Hook. Now, Jerry Lang's parents were from Campania. Now, it's not uh, aware of where they were from in Campania, uh, but most likely they're from the Napoli area. Now, as a child, Jerry Lang came up, uh, obviously, in the mid to late 50s, um, was actually very close early on with Carmine Persco and the Persco gang. In fact, in 1972, Carmine Persco, uh, Gennaro Jerry Lang Langella, and two other individuals were arrested outside of a location in Saugerties, New York, where Carmine Persco had a compound and a home. The feds would bust him on gun charges, and Jerry Lang would get jammed up. It was discussed early on that Jerry Lang was likely a driver and enforcer for Carmine Persco. Now, other people would have that mantle over the years, including Hugh Apples McIntosh. But Jerry Lang had really been connected to the Colombo crime family really forever. And he would eventually become one of Persco's most trusted people. Now, when the books opened in 1976, uh, Jerry Lang would be inducted in the family. He could be seen on the far left. He was inducted in the same ceremony as Andrew Mushrusso, who can be seen in the middle, as well as Shorty Spiro, who can be seen on the far right. Now, also inducted in that ceremony was Carmine Tutti Franzese. Now, Tutti Franzese was the nephew of John Sonny Franzese. Now, 
Notice I said the books opened in 1976. We all know that. Now, Sonny Franzese's son, Michael, claims that he was made Halloween of 1975. Now, I know there's been a lot of question as to whether Michael got the dates mixed up, but I know that OC Shorts has done a video on this on YouTube and that it's probable that Michael just got his days and years mixed up. But Jerry Lang was one of the first of the people inducted, and we would have to think that that had a lot to do with the fact that um, he was so close to Carmen Persica. And look, if we know anything about Andrew Mosrusso, that was uh, Persico's cousin. So Persico was making a, a lot of people uh, very closely connected to him. Now, for Jerry Lang, he was actually very involved, at least initially, in the haunts of loan sharking, extortion, and drug dealing. Now, if we know anything about people like him, Jerry Brancato, those guys, they were all big loan sharks. Brancato was a huge loan shark uh, for most of his life, even into his twilight years. Uh, but Jerry Langell at one point would be described as a, quote, ruthless, arrogant loan shark and drug trafficker. His speech was peppered with expletives, and he was considered a vain clothes horse and unlike more contemporary Hollywood gangsters. He would favor double-breasted blazers, sporty open collared shirts, and wraparound sunglasses. And that was according to the terrific Selwyn Rab, who wrote Five Families. Again, I'm always asked about mob books. If you ever want a book that details the mafia from the beginning, the whole way through, I think it's like 550 pages. My, uh, Five Families is the godfather, if you will, of mafia books. Now, by 1980, so within three or four years, Jerry Lang becomes really powerful because, look, during that time, we obviously know that the Colombo crime family was always very turbulent, right? I mean, there was always something going on, and there were like four or five different acting bosses at the beginning of the 70s. So once Joe Colombo is incapacitated and paralyzed, in 1971, Joe Iacovelli takes over. And he flees after Joey Gallo is killed in 72. Then Vinnie Alloy is boss for about a year. He goes to jail. Joey Brancato takes over in 73, but isn't there for very long. He steps down and is bust back to a soldier under Jerry Lang. And that's when Carmine Persco takes over. Now, Persco throughout the 70s had several acting bosses, including Tom DeBella um, and his brother, Alphonse Alleyboy Persico. But in 1983, Little Alley Boy, or not Little Alley Boy, but Al, Alphonse Alley Boy Persico goes to jail. And around that time, Jerry Lang becomes essentially the acting boss. But in 1980, Jerry Lang becomes a captain. Uh, now, his crew would include some very powerful people, including Little Joey Brancato, Benedetto Alloy. Vito Guzzo Sr., Black Sam Nastasi, as well as the pick of the litter, Ralphie Boy Scopo. Now, again, Ralphie Boy Scopo never rised, rised, or rised, rised higher than a soldier. But the good thing that Jerry Lang had was power connections. He had the street rackets, the extortion, the gambling, the loan sharking. Uh, construction. But what Ralph Scopo had was incredibly important and incredibly powerful. Ralph Scopo was the head of something called Local 6A of the Cement and Concrete Workers Union and District Council as well. He was also the leader of that group, the District Council. Now, basically what that was, was a concrete workers union. And Ralph Scopo was in control of over 4,000 concrete workers. Now, for the mafia, it was very important because Ralphie Scopo dictated who got what work, what work got with what group, how much money was made, kickbacks, payouts, all sorts of things. Ralph Scopo was the leader of that, and it allowed him and the mafia to become very rich in the, er the late 70s into the early 80s because real estate and housing and construction was booming in New York City. Now, for the mafia, they also had control through the Gambino crime family of Teamsters Local 
0.282. Now, this is important because when you pour concrete, what do you need? You need, obviously, the workers, but you also need truck drivers, people that are driving the concrete trucks. So not only did the mafia run the workers themselves and the concrete being poured, but they also ran the Teamsters Local, which headed the drivers of those trucks. Now, Ralph Scopa was controlling every job under $2 million on behalf of the Colombo crime family. Now, what contractors had to do was pay Scopa 1% of the total contract, as well as $2 for every cubic yard of concrete. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now understand, right? Think of New York. Think of the Trump Tower. Think of the Javits Center. Think of all the hundreds of buildings that went up, whether it was um, high-rise apartments or, or commercial businesses or whatever. Think about the amount of concrete poured. I mean, it, it's astounding amounts of money. Now, what Ralph Scopo also is, is someone that, you know, he obviously has the ability to decide what goes on in all these different unions. But the Mafia Commission, which we know of being Paul Castellano, Tony Ducks Corallo, Fat Tony Salerno. Now, remember, Fat Tony and Paul Castellano were also in charge of a concrete company called SNA Concrete. Tony Ducks Corallo had Northbury Concrete. So all these groups are all intertwined. So the commission created something called the Concrete Club. And the person at the top of it was Ralph Scopo. Now, it was a group of six mob-run concrete companies that controlled all the concrete in Manhattan. They would get a 2% kickback on each contract. Now, remember, when it comes to contracts here, Scopo being the president was using that position, obviously, to store money, but anything over $2 million was reserved for the club of contractors called the Concrete Club. So people like Salerno, Castellano, Tony Duck, all those concrete companies that were part of the club were getting all the big contracts. Now, at one point in a recorded conversation, Ralph Scopo was heard explaining all of this to a non concrete club contractor scopa would say quote the concrete's going to be what 12 million to which the concrete contractor would respond yeah why can't i do the concrete scopa says you can't do it over 2 million you can't do it if it's under 2 million me i'll tell you go ahead and do it contractor would respond who do i got to see who do i got to see scopa would say you got to see every family and they're going to tell you no don't even bother. Contractor would respond, what if Tommy goes and talks to them? Now, it's unclear who Tommy is. Scopa would say, quote, they'll tell you no, no matter who talks. I know they'll tell you no. I went through this not once, a hundred fucking times. I can't get it for myself. How could I get it for somebody else? So essentially what's going on is Ralph Scopo handles anything under $2 million. But everything above two million, all these huge projects, it's going directly to the companies that are owned by these individuals here. Most notably, Castellano, Tony Ducks, Fat Tony, the Gambino fam, all these different families. And they have a monopoly on all the concrete. Now, at one point, a contractor would say himself, just one contractor, he would say that in one period, he paid in excess of $900,000 alone to Ralph Scopo. Now, remember, Ralphie Scopo um, needed people to handle the payments. He needed kind of everything to kind of piece itself together. Uh, and this was all kicking itself up to his uh, boss, who was Jerry, Jerry Lang Langella. Now, kickbacks for contracts greater than $5 million were shared between the Genovese and Gambino crime families. Now, remember, as I said, SNA was the largest producer in Manhattan. And of course, that's owned by 
Castellano and uh, our boy Fat Tony. Now, at one point, if you're going to plead a firm as to why they should receive a particular job, it would be advantageous for the company to take Ralph Scopo on as a partner, as such in the case of one business with four partners. Scopo and the Colombo family would become their fifth partner. And that's according to MafiaBookReviews.com. And the mobsters were entitled to 20% of the normal 10% profit margin on each job. Now, Scopo would personally receive an additional $10,000 for each contract just for making the deal. So remember, let's say it's a two or $10 million deal. The mob gets a 2% kickback right away. So this is all very burgeoning. This is all very big. This is all very large. So again, I mean, this is how they dominated business. Now, Rafi Scopo would be seen regularly in the constant company of his boy, Jerry Lang Langella. They would regularly do business out of a restaurant in Park Slope, Brooklyn, called the Casa Storta Restaurant. Now, what the feds start doing is they start surveilling these individuals and they start realizing that they're always in Park Slope at the Casa Storta Restaurant. Now, that is no longer open. It was closed in the 80s. However, um, the feds decide, all right, we're, we're all getting these crews together to police these individuals. We're going to install a bug inside the Casa Storta restaurant. Now, the feds have talked about this in documentaries, including Fear City. They talk about the fact that they had to get through a guard dog that was inside the restaurant. Once they got the bug in the table, they really started getting some incriminating information from not only Jerry Lang, but Ralphie Boy Scopo as well. Now, also what they would do in learning about the commission and the concrete club through people like Ralph Scopo, because Ralph Scopo would regularly also talk about the fact that, you know, the club, the club, the club, the club, but he would also talk about the fact that if you went against the club, um, you would be dealt with. At one point, Scopo would say, quote, if I tell you stories about contractors that you know that are supposed to get hurt, that I protected. The contractor would respond, why would any of them get hurt? Scopo would say, well, for doing what they're not supposed to be doing. So again, you know, contractors are hearing about people being thrown out of windows, being assaulted. Scopo ran with an iron fist. And if you didn't deal with them, you were going to have a major issue. Now, in 1983, Ralph Scopo and Jerry Langella would be seen surveilled leaving a commission meeting in Staten Island. Now, remember, the feds had heard about all this on wiretap through people like Scopo, but their main goal was to get all of these people in one area and see them leaving. And that's what they do. You could see Jerry Lang in the front, in the middle, Tommy Bellotti, and behind him is Ralphie Scopa. Now, at this same meeting, Fat Tony can be observed leaving. Tom Santoro and Tony Ducks can be seen leaving. Paul Castellano can be seen leaving. And Castellano is actually behind these three individuals as they walk out of the home. So what that also does is put them as a big group. And the one group is all in control of the concrete club with Ralph Scopo at the top. Now, subsequent to this meeting in Staten Island where all these guys are at, Jerry Lang would be caught on wiretap essentially the same night. That evening, he is having dinner Jerry Lang, and here he is with his son, Vincent. He's having dinner with Dominic Donnie Shacks Montemarano, as well as Gambino parakeet Angelo Ruggiero. Now, at that meeting, Ruggiero begins lamenting about Big Paul Castellano. And this is where we learn that you know maybe all isn't good in the commission, and that in a weird way, Jerry Lang actually foreshadows Paul Castellano's subsequent death. Now, at one point, I want to go over the conversation. Jerry Lang's having a conversation with Donnie Shacks and Angelo. Now, at one point, Donnie Shacks says, quote, Jerry's sitting there, Paulie's sitting there, Tom Mix is over there, and Fat Tony's over there, too. 
Now, Langella would condemn Big Paul for denying that he had owed him a $50,000 debt, and they called him a liar. Now, Ruggiero would chime in with his own issue, and Langella would say, quote, what did I say, Donnie, after the holidays? What would happen? Montemarano would respond, Neil and Johnny Gotti will probably die. Langella says, that's it. I made a prediction, and you know why? Donnie Shacks, just what you see is going on now. Fat Angelo Ruggiero would say it's getting worse and worse. He don't want nobody around him carrying pistols to meet. I never go on to meet with a pistol. It's a shame. Langella, quote, that man, Castellano, most of his guys got guns. You know, he ain't going to go easy. I know, says Ruggiero. And Neil knows it. Johnny knows it. If anything happens to Johnny and Neil, I'm going to come and see you. Because I don't trust them. So they're basically discussing that they don't trust Paul Castellano. He's a liar. They're getting annoyed with his certain business-like behavior. And he's now denying debts. He's being embarrassing with certain personal things. Um, This had kind of, I think, been in the works for a long time. And it wasn't just the Gambino crime family that was upset with Big Paul Castellano. Um, Other people were as well, including... Jerry Langella and Donnie Shax Montemarano, who are both basically the ones and twos in and on the street for the Columbos. Because remember, in the early 80s, the three most important people on the street in the Colombo crime family are Ralph Scopo, Jerry Lang, and Donnie Shax. They were all close to Junior Persico, who was in prison. Sonny Frenzies can't do much of anything. He's in and out. These three guys are the most powerful, and the most powerful is Jerry Lang. So when we see about rank, Ralph Scopa being a soldier doesn't mean anything. Now, Scopa would also continue heating it up with his uh, talk with contractors. He's essentially incriminating himself in every conversation. And by this point, the federal government had attached a bug in Ralph Scopa's car as well. So Ralph Scopa was kind of screwed in multiple ways. Um, because they had him at the Casa Sorda, they had it in his car, pretty much everywhere. And the FBI was enjoying what they were hearing. Now, one point as well, Ralph Scopa would also gleam some information about Roy DeMeo, of all people. At one point, he would tell a concrete contractor something about the fact that the Gambino crime family killed Roy DeMeo, and that he was murdered, according to Scopa, for fear that he would cave under law enforcement pressure and flip on his superiors. And that killing him was their insurance and a way to distance themselves from the crime. Now, Scopa would also imply that he knew his bosses would not hesitate to do the same should he place them in a bad position. And what he did is he told these contractors this with fear. Hey, if, I fuck up too. I'm done. If Roy DeMeo fucks up, he's gone. If you screw up, you're gone. If they could do that to us, what do you think they're going to do to you? So Joe or um, Ralph Scopo didn't really act as a power guy. He just kind of acted as, hey, I'm the leader here. And look, I have people above me. You have people above you. This is a business. You got to do what you got to do. We all got to do what we got to do. Now, in late 1984, It would all come crashing down for Ralph Scopo and Jerry Lang. They would be hit in a 51-count indictment that would include charges of racketeering, RICO, concrete, construction, extortion, all that. Now, also arrested was Frank Falangia. He was a a, one of the, uh, I believe it was nine or ten people arrested in the Colombo crime family. Now, according to the feds, Jerry Lang and Ralph Scopo were corrupting up to six different locals. And remember, a lot of the incriminating stuff that was coming out of this case was due to the fact that Ralph Scopo and Jerry Lang were incriminating themselves on tape. Now, in February of 1985, as we all know, uh, the commission would all be arrested, including Castellano, Rostelli, Tony Salerno, Tony Ducks, Uh, All of them would be brought to justice. And it didn't help Ralph Scopo and Jerry Lang that in 1986, they would both be on the same list that Fat Tony Salerno was the number one rated biggest mafia boss in America. Now, 
Jerry Lang would come in at fifth on the list. Ralph Scopo would be 11th. Think about that. Ralph Scopo, 11th out of 50, and he's a soldier in the Colombo family. He is making so much money. And all he did was receive kickbacks on behalf of concrete companies. They ran New York. Now, for these guys, it would ultimately be the end for them. Neither would see the light of day again. In one case, Jerry Lang would get 10 years on the uh, Colombo case. Ralph Scopa would get 12 years. And it would ultimately be all the way done. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the commission case in 1986, both were found guilty. Ralph Scopo would be hit with a 100-year prison sentence. His copper regime, Jerry Langella, would be hit with 65 years. So in all... Langella would get 75 years. Scopa would get 112 years. Now, I'm sure you're thinking here and you're saying to yourself, wow, they both got life sentences over extortion of the concrete industry. Well, remember, in the case of the commission trial, okay, they all used RICO and they threw it all up to all of them. And one of the big things they had was they believed they had the conspiracy on the murder of Carmine Galanti, which happened in 1979. And they pieced together Bruno and Delicato and all these guys were the ones that ordered it. So it was all bad for the commission. Now I want to talk about what would happen next, because it's actually quite interesting. The influence of the mafia on most notably local 6A would not stop when Ralph Scopel was taken off the street. Almost immediately, Ralph Scopo's sons, Joseph and Ralph Jr., would take over the union. Um, he Ralph Jr. would take it over in 1985. However, him and his brother Joey would be ousted of that union in 1987. However, by that point, Ralph Scopo Jr., the son of Ralph Scopo, would install his son, Ralph Scopo III, as the head of Local 6A. And Ralph Scopo Jr. did that due to the fact that his son was not a made member of the mafia. Ralph Scopo was made in 1991, but he had instituted his son, who he kind of established as well. He's not a member of the mafia, uh, even though his father and grandfather were, his uncle was. It didn't matter. He wasn't. So third was instituted as the head of local 6a now we're going to talk a little bit about ralph scopo jr because he has a pretty colorful life after uh, all this but i want to kind of put a sad bow on the life of ralph scopo senior ralph scopo senior would die in march of 1993 at lewisburg federal prison of natural causes he was 61 years old Sadly, just several months later, his son, Joseph Scopo, would be shot to death outside of his home in 1993. Now, by this point, Joey Scopo had switched sides and had taken sides with Vic Arena in the Arena-Persco War. It's alleged Joey Scopo was killed by Colombo lunatic John Papa. So the only Scopo left is Ralph Scopo Jr. Now, Scopo would be in and out of prison in the 90s. um, And by the early 2000s, he would take up refuge with burgeoning capo Dino Calabro. Now, I want to talk about the fact that even though in the 2000s, Ralph Scopo was not in control of Local 6A, his son was. And we have to understand that in the 2000s, kind of post 9-11, into like 2005, 2007, 2008, New York saw a major boom in real estate. 
And Ralph Scopo still held a lot of influence over um, the concrete business. In fact, um, by that point, they were still pulling in all sorts of money from local 6A. Now, what also Ralph Scopo did was he understood that even though he was stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars each month from concrete companies, that was not enough for Ralphie Scopo. Ralph Scopo would also come up with something called the Coffee Boys Racket. Now, it went like this. According to Dino Calabro, the mob would pull in $250 a week from every job site the union was working through their control of people called Coffee Boys. Now, Ralph Scopo came up with a scheme where he would assign a union worker as a coffee boy at each site. His sole job was to handle coffee and donut orders, a job that's written into their contracts. Now, according to Ralph Scopo Jr., workers could not place their orders with anyone else other than the coffee boy. Now, the coffee boy would go and get discounted coffee from local delis or buy bulk cases of bottled water and juice and then sell them to fellow workers at a profit. Now, once the mob showed up, coffee boys kept all their profits as long as they kicked up $250. At times, that meant they'd make $1,000 a week. Now, Calabro would tell the FBI that in the early 80s, that it that this has been going on since then, and they were bringing in two fifty a week, and that many of the coffee boys came up to be trusted associates of Calabro's crew, and that he would make them split fifty fifty. Now, at one point at a bar in Brooklyn, a person called Rick Souffle, who was a coffee boy, would tell his mob cohorts he had no problem making his weekly mafia payment, bragging, "quote." I'm making a killing at this fucking coffee boy job. So this is another range of just the greed of the mafia. I mean, they're not making enough. Um, Now, according to authorities, Ralph Jr. would create the coffee boy scam, which ended up being pretty lucrative. Now, if the local had six jobs going, that would mean they'd make 6,000 a month or 72K a year just in coffee boy proceeds. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting uh, how it all works. So I guess from what I'm gleaming here, there were probably three or four coffee boys at each work site. Pretty unbelievable. Now, the union would say that in reality, it's mostly laborers that are not interested in the headaches and complaints involved in the job. And more importantly, most laborers are, quote, not qualified to properly take the coffee and lunch orders for what can be as little as five laborers, but can often be as many as a hundred, the union would say in response. So they would kind of defend the coffee boy strategy. So again, Ralph Scopo and Dina Calabra are making money all sorts of ways. Now, as, as well, they're not only making money through coffee and lunch orders, but they're making money through concrete. And remember by this point, um, there's a lot of, construction going on. Remember the Freedom Towers being built. Now, one of the people that the mob had under their control um, was a person called Dino Tomasetti. Dino Tomasetti can be seen there on the right with his wife. Um, He was involved with a huge concrete company called uh, D'Aquila Concrete. Now, Mikey Scars would testify that at one point Dino Tomasetti was very much in the throes of the mafia and that they essentially um, were being paid all sorts of money by Thomas Seti just to operate in that market. Now, I include this photo because Dino Tomasetti in a, uh, was involved in a bizarre, uh, sad um, situation in February of 2022. According to NYPD, his son, seen on the left, Dino Tomasetti Jr., was arrested for killing his father and viciously wounding his mother, after an argument broke out um, involving uh, Dino Jr.'s young child. 
kind of a weird, sad situation. Um, now, ultimately, uh, there's been no outcome to this case, um, but Dino Tomasetti Sr. and Rocco Tomasetti, uh, they're both brothers. They're very involved with uh, this construction company. Uh, kind of a sad uh, situation. Um, and by the way, guys, I, I hate to say it, I don't believe he killed them. I believe he shot them. They, they weren't mortally wounded, but um, very sad uh, story. My apologies. I got that story a little mixed up. I, I, I did a, a video on them a long time ago. This was probably this was over a year ago. Um, pretty uh, pretty wild situation. But uh, but yeah, back to Calabro and uh, Ralph Scopo. Um, they uh, both were obviously down the road jammed up. And for Ralph Scopo, he would uh, be in and out of prison. He would actually be indicted in 2011, but would die in 2013 from heart failure. Dino Calabro will cooperate with the federal government uh, and uh, is living somewhere in America currently. Now, one final piece of info on Ralph Scopo. Um, he also at one point was uh, involved in that conversation in uh, Don Pepe's with Ciro Perone, where they badmouthed the grandsons of John Gotti, uh, calling them uh, all sorts of names. And Ralph Scopo talked very openly that he was disgusted for his uh, late friend, John Gotti, that uh, basically he'd be rolling around in his grave if he knew what was going on with his grandsons. Uh, one final thing to report. I want to kind of put a bow on Jerry Langella. Langella would really spend... Um, about 30 years in prison, uh, he would finally succumb to uh, health complications in December of 2013 at the age of 74 years old. He has two children. They are both uh, in their late 50s and early 60s, and I believe both still live in Brooklyn. He was survived by six siblings as well and a great-grandson and four grandchildren. So, uh, all of the people that we discussed today uh, are gone. Uh, and that's the ever-growing truth uh, of the mafia. Um, it's uh, just how it goes. Now, when we look back at people like Ralph Scopo Sr. and Jerry Lang, I mean, they were the kings of concrete. It was one of the most important times the mafia had ever had. Now, I will just say one other thing about Ralph Scopo III. He is no longer uh, in control of anything having to do with 6A. Uh, he was ousted in and around 2010. Today, local 6A is still going. It's still an active union. There is, as far as I know, no involvement in the mob today. Um, so about 10 years later, they finally got it figured out. Uh, but for a long period of time, the mafia was in control of the concrete workers union and was really the end of the mob as we know it, because people like Paul Castellano and Tony Salerno and Tony ducks and all these guys are taken off the street. Persco died in prison. Rostelli died. Um, all, all these people died and this ushered in new people and there wasn't as much control over unions. And now today, I mean, there's very little control uh, over unions. So an interesting show that I wanted to bring you for sure. Now I want to do a little Q&A. Uh, and the Q&A is usually fun. I mean, generally we just uh, answer some of your mob questions. So what we're going to do now is I hope you stick around. We're going to do that and speak a little bit about some questions that you might have. So let's jump into it. I'm going to start with uh, some Twitter questions. And I'm going to start with uh, Jack Z. Uh, what interactions, whether in person or to the extent that they know about you, have you had with active members of organized crime? Uh, I've had many, um, very few that I'll talk about. Um, look, I've talked very openly about a situation I had with a family member of one of these people. Um, we have known each other for years. Um, he took umbrage with a certain story that I did. And one night, you know, he wasn't very happy. We got into it. Um, I haven't talked to him since then. Um, I get where he's coming from. You know, I, I was actually just kind of taken back by it. I'm not going to really get into what happened. It's kind of a bit out there and I've talked about it. As far as talking to them, I actually talked to a couple of people. 
um, that are out there. I'm not going to say who they are. I would never betray confidence. What I do, though, do, Jack, is I talk a lot with the lawyers of these people. Um, I've had lawyers of mob guys reach out to me and discuss certain stories and that they don't like certain things. And I had a Gambino guy, uh, his lawyer reached out to me a month or two ago with, with a story that I ran. Um, I, I talk to people all the time that, that know these people that say, Hey, and I know this person, I know that person. Um, they like you, they don't like you. And most of the people that I do speak to though, that are connected to this world, they have no issue with what I do. They understand it. This is actually kind of a wild story, but just this weekend, I, I, I talked to uh, an associate uh, out, um, walked right up to him. He had actually was in my town for uh, a vacation of some sort. And uh, he's no longer involved with that life, but he was, you know, he was very connected for a while, did seven years in prison. And uh, we talked pretty openly about, you know, what, what it used to be like. And he was super cool. I mean, he had no issue with what we do. Um, So I, I don't, Look, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds either. I, I don't walk around Howard Beach, Queens or, you know, certain neighborhoods. Um, and I'm sure there's probably several that don't like me, but I have no ill will. I'm not doing this to hurt anyone. I'm just talking about the history. All the stuff I talk about is widely known. Uh, it's not any secret. Gary Cooper, seeing as how the five families have been significantly weakened over the years, would it be a smart move to merge the families into one powerful organization? Would a leadership filter out the garbage, keep the very best from each? Um, probably, but they're not going to ever do that. Um, they want to have the separation. Um, I think if you do that, you basically put a big sign out there that says we are in the mafia. Now they can kind of keep it insulated and, and just close where they don't have to explain too much. You build one big house, big powerhouse group, well, then you're putting a tighter title on your back. So they're never going to do that. It would probably make sense, but. I think they're just kind of happy where they are and kind of out of the limelight. We've heard a lot about crash cars being assigned for hits over the years. While it makes sense in theory as a precaution, are there any confirmed cases at all of a crash car actually being used to stop pursuing cops or good Samaritans after a hit hit attempt? Um, no, they're never actually used. I mean, it's rare that a cop shows up during it. Um, you know, the only time that, I mean, I, I can't answer when it, when it actually worked. I mean, I think they were there just for like escape reasons and things. But I mean, I don't think they ever actually stopped the car or something. But I know it's big in Italy. They use them all the time. I mean, it, it's just precautionary. I don't think it ever actually has had to happen. I mean, it's rare that a crime will be committed and a cop will watch it happen. I mean, it's it's not not generally something that goes on. All right. Uh, what gangster do you like the most and why you may have gotten this question before? Yeah, I've gotten this question probably thousands of times. Uh, and I'm tired of answering it. Uh, Fat Tony Salerno. Uh, he'll always be my favorite. Um, let's do some YouTube ones. I'm sure there were some good ones on here. Uh, what mafia autobiographies do you recommend of authenticity and overall well-written? Always enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. Uh, I don't recommend any autobiographies. I wouldn't read any autobiography if I were you. I think it's important that when you read a book, um, you need to take it from someone that it's not written by. When it's written by someone, they accentuate who they are. I mean, case in point, Sam Gravano's book, you know, um, even like the gas pipe book um, that was written by gas pipes friend. I mean, uh, you got to be very careful. One book that I would tell you to read that's like a straight biography it's by Anthony DeStefano. It's called Vinnie Gorgeous. It's one of my favorite books. Love it. I think it's super well done. Um, he has a lot of information. He's very well versed, well written. I would tell you to check that out. All right. Uh, you know, anytime I put these things out, it's always people just asking me to do certain people. Guys, please read the question. Who do you want is not the question. Uh would I ever do an episode on John Roberts, the cocaine cowboy? He was involved with the New York City Mafia before changing his name and moving to Miami. His last name is Riccobono, and his dad was New York City gangster. Uh, yes, Staten Island Joe Riccobono. He was a very powerful individual, and he was uh, dead on to what and who he was. Uh, the, the kid Riccobono was uh, very connected to the Medellin cartel. Um, I would highly recommend, if you want more on him, the guy Roberts, check out Cocaine Cowboys. Uh, very well done. But yeah, Staten Island Joe Riccobono was uh, 
a big time guy. I believe at one point he was consigliere of the family many years ago. This was a long time ago. He was from Brooklyn originally. I think Brownsville moved out to Staten Island. Um, and yeah, it was the consigliere for uh, for a long period of time. So yeah, there's definitely truth to the fact that John Roberts, who changed his name, was uh, very connected with them. All right. Uh, Jeff O'Neill. Hey, Jeff. I asked what I thought to be a fair question about your shift in thinking regarding rats. How in the early days of the podcast, you despised rats to the point of considering not even doing episodes in them, whereas now you're friends with rats, frequently collaborating with them, and have said you don't understand people dislike them. Beyond a rat's obvious value to journalists like yourself, I was wondering if anything else led you to complete shift in your view of informants. Um, like I said, it's a fair question. Um, well, again, dude, I don't feel the need to keep talking about this, but for you, you seem to have to get my answer from this. I grew up. I've been doing this show three years now. Look, Jeff, I still don't have, I don't, when I'm talking like personally, I don't agree with it. Like if I'm in the mafia, I would just do what I had to do. Like I'm not telling on people, but I also have realized that it's not really my job. I don't really care. I'm not in the streets. And when you're a kid, you know, your twenties, you, you have this misguided romanticism of what these people are. I don't really agree with what they do. I don't think every rat did the right thing. I think there are some that probably did. But as far as interviewing them, there are several that I haven't interviewed and I wouldn't. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but there's ones that I think are contrite and I like, and there are ones that are just shitty people. And if you notice the ones that I haven't interviewed, there's a reason I don't interview them. So it has nothing to do with whether I like them or not. I don't like or dislike anyone I talk about. I'm not about that. I don't care. But as far as my disdain, I, I'm not sure that I don't still have it. I don't agree with it, but I'm also not going to judge them. It's not my job, nor do I care. I'm trying to bring information to the people. But there are three or four that I haven't and will not talk to. Because I don't think they'll provide me with anything I can't find on my own. Checker Six says, was Joe Colombo killed on orders from the commission or Carlo Gambino? And then they blamed Joey Gallo and then he was killed in Umberto's. Do you think the commission used him as a scapegoat? I've heard different opinions on this from other podcasts, ex-mobsters. Um, yes, I think Joe Colombo, keep in mind, he wasn't killed on the orders of the commission, but he was mortally wounded uh, or, 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 or vegetatively wounded, uh, basically killed. I think, yeah, absolutely. I think they were annoyed with the defamation league crap, the constant media crap. And if you look into Jerome Johnson, the person that shot at Joe Colombo, he has a lot of ties to the Gambino crime family. Uh, Supposedly was a gay guy who went to uh, Gambino bars that were in a random way in the gay areas that were controlled by the Gambino crime family. Carlo Gambino and a lot of people in the Gambino family were very involved with the opening of clubs like Haymarket and other places in New York City. Uh, and Jerome Johnson was allegedly always going to places like that. Um, and yeah, I think they blamed Joey Gallo because they knew Joey Gallo was involved with black gangsters and it could easily be pushed off to Joey Gallo. Gambino did that a lot. I mean, killed Anastasia. It was blamed on other people. So, yeah, they were smart. They were very cagey in that thought. Are there any young guys still hanging around Cruz? I know there were a few with Gene Barella, but what about now? Um, I have no idea. Probably. I mean, I'm not going to say who. But, yeah, I mean, if you know anything about Peter Tuccio, he's quite young. I mean, there's a lot of people like him. I know for a fact there are people in Brooklyn right now, Gambino people, that have many young people around them. Um, How young? I mean, I wouldn't say they're under 35, but like in the 40s, yeah. Now, made men, I think out of all five families, there's like two or three guys in their 40s. One of them is Ernie Aiello, Bonanno family. But other than that, no. I mean, they're, if they are, they're associates. They're come up guys. But yeah, if you look at like someone like Peter Tuccio, I mean, he's hanging around. Supposedly he's even made at this point. Jacob Weems, how do you think the Colombo family is being ran? 
I have no idea. I don't even know if I can answer that. What do you mean by that? Is being rat? I don't know. Probably like every other family. Um, I mean, they've never been properly ran, really. Uh, Jeff, can you do an episode on John Panisi? Uh, no, no. Watch his channel. I'm sure he can give you any info you want. Um, talk about Novi Toko. Um, yeah, I mean, Novi's the only rat in the history of Detroit. Um, am I going to talk about him? Uh, I'll let Scott Bernstein do that. That's more of Scott's uh, kind of uh, purview, if you will. Bit of an open question, Jeff. Do you think the RICO statute and the sentences handed out under RICO are fair? I'm from the UK, and sentences given out seem crazy to me. Over here, Bobby Manna would have been out decades ago. Ducks and Tom Mix would have been out as free men as well. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's unfair, um, but it's a broad umbrella, if you will, that they've used and it it works. I mean, it's a law. I mean, I'm not, there are a lot of laws that aren't fair. You know, that's just how it goes, man. As far as draconian sentences, yeah, we do that here. But the thought is, um, you know, if someone commits a crime and it's like a murder or something, they've got to do life. Yeah, I think some of it's draconian. Do I think Bobby Mattis should be in prison still? No. I think in most cases, people over the age of 80 should be released. There's a lot of guys like that. Vic Amuso, Vic Arena, Bobby Mana, Frankie Loke. Frankie died, but... But yeah, I mean, that was the groundbreaking thing and why the mafia fell. Because they were able to institute that and it worked. Final question. Uh, this is actually an interesting one. Does Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, do they have a mafia presence? Um, no. However, uh, there was kind of an interesting story that came out of Myrtle Beach. I think it was like 2016, 2017. A guy from Myrtle Beach called Har Henry Sentner was arrested. Um, he was 81 years old, and he was arrested in Wyoming. He was a resident of Myrtle Beach. He was pulled over speeding, and they found... 16 kilos of weed in his vehicle. Now, why I bring this up is Sentner was originally from New York City and moved to Myrtle Beach. And he served 15 years in prison for the murder of Manny Gambino. Now, this is a story that's been wrong in all sorts of documentaries. Now, documentaries will tell you that Manny Gambino was kidnapped and subsequently killed by James McBratney. And that was ultimately the reason John Gotti and Ruggiero and Gallione went to kill McBratney. When in retrospect, he didn't actually kill Manny Gambino. It was actually Henry Sentner that killed Manny Gambino. And it was mistaken. Now, Sentner and McBratney were both serial burglars and robbers and kidnappers, but it was... Sentner that actually killed Gambino. And Sentner did his time and then was released and went to Myrtle Beach. That's the only Myrtle Beach involvement to the mob that I know of, um, but it's not much. But a good question, nonetheless. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for the participation, as always. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on Ralph Scopo and Jerry Lang. Uh, we'll be back next week for another great episode of The Sit Down. Uh, we're already at episode 120. Time flies when you're having fun. Please make sure you go check out my bookie. Use promo code SITDOWN to get yourself a nice bonus. Make sure you hit that like button. Subscribe before you leave here. And, uh, yeah, always leave a comment in the comment section below or on our review page on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Pods. I always appreciate all you guys. Um, like I said, I've got some cool interviews coming up here over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I'm going to take some time. I'm actually going away uh, August uh, 24th for a couple of days. So that won't affect the show because it's one of my Thursday to Sunday. So we won't miss anything there. So that'll be fun. So, yeah, a lot coming up. If you ever have someone you want me to take a look at, feel free to send me a DM on Twitter, at SitDownCrimePod, um, or uh, you can find us on YouTube and leave a comment. You can also email me, sitdown777 at gmail.com sit down 777 at gmail.com i'm your host jeff nadu we'll see you next week here on the Center.